It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we used to look at uh, things like loneliness and mental health as something that those who were getting elderly were dealing with or those that were perpetually sick and homebound. Uh, But one of the things that we've learned during the pandemic is that it's much, much more than that. Uh, Whenever I'm looking at issues around mental health and wellness and connectedness relationships, I always go to Lois Collins, uh, who writes for the Deseret News. Uh, She is recognized uh, not just here in the state of Utah, but across the country uh, as one of the leading reporters in terms of really looking at these issues in a unique way, in a powerful way. And uh, we're really pleased to have uh, Lois join us on the line. And Lois, I actually got to see you today in the parking lot. It was like a, a magical moment all over again. I felt that way, too. It was wonderful. <laughs> uh, Plus, we didn't wear masks, which I, was pretty exciting, too. I haven't seen the lower part of your face for a long time. That's right. That's right. Now, Lois and I both suffer from early morning disease and uh, often... Uh, in the building here, we were the ones that were here very early on, including during earthquakes and things like that. Uh, and so we we have a great connection there. But Lois, you, you wrote a piece this week on uh, coming out of the pandemic, some of the things that we've learned about loneliness, that it's not just isolated. Uh, and uh, you wrote about why loneliness should really be treated as a public health crisis. Tell us about that. So I have been attending this thing called the Age Boom Academy, which is a special training for reporters um, that's put on by Columbia University, and they bring in all these really great experts from around really the world. One of the guys that I talked to on loneliness is works in the public health ministry in Ireland, um, and what they're saying is that loneliness is so pervasive that it is literally a crisis that we all have to to be part of solving and and not only for ourselves, but for each other. So a survey before the pandemic found, and this is before the pandemic, which made it worse, that 35% of people over age 45 said they were lonely, and that 42% over age 60 said they were lonely, which if you translate that into a population, that's a wide segment of the population. And one of the people that I talked to is a doctor who is um, out of New York who told me that we have built loneliness into the way we live now, mm. and so we have to build it out again. We have to deconstruct it. One of the ways that we've built that in is just think about all the things that you do alone. You drive alone. Think of all the times you don't talk on the phone or you don't talk in person. You just type a message to somebody and go back and forth a little bit, but we're missing some of those human connections of touch and facial expressions and the, the quick interaction of talking to each other and responding to each other that are really important. Yeah, so so vital. Uh, in your uh, piece, uh, you noted from uh, uh, from Freed, he said there is no pill for loneliness. Uh, and uh, so as, as you mentioned, Lois, that we do have to build that back out. Uh, it's, it is one person at a time, one connection at a time, one experience at a time, uh, if we're really going to recreate this connectedness. One thing that I think is really interesting is that while there's no pill, each of us could be 
sort of a pill. Mm. If we pay attention to each other and we we pay attention, and it's across the age span, so it's not just elderly. Although when I first became interested in, in loneliness was when I read a statistic that said that the highest single share of the, the highest share of people by demographic that are lonely are elderly men, particularly men who have really been accomplished in their careers. Mm. And then they retire and they sort of lose that. But it goes across the span, and each one of us can do something about it just by being aware of people and by reaching out to people and taking a few extra minutes to connect. Yeah. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, obviously there's kind of that initial rush, and uh, it, as you mentioned, it's great to see people see the lower half of their face and uh, to you know to reconnect that way. What are some of the other things that we should be doing uh, to recreate that interconnectedness? Well, one of the things that we should be doing is listening to our own feelings. There's there's a difference between is- isolation and loneliness, and so you need to kind of sort that out. You can be lonely in a group. And you can be totally socially isolated and not be lonely, and people don't seem to get the difference there. But it starts by figuring out how you feel and what you can do to make your own situation better, because often people don't like to say they're lonely, yeah. and you may not like to say you're lonely. It's There's some sort of an odd stigma, like if, if you were living your life right or if you were the right kind of person or had the right personality, you wouldn't be lonely, and it doesn't work that way. So it starts with yourself and figuring out where you are on on sort of that spectrum of being lonely or not being lonely and reaching out to others. Um, I am, I have always been really socially awkward, and I think I went into journalism because I thought that it would kind of force me out of it, and it did to some degree. But I was always the person who was kind of off in the corner trying to pretend that my watch was really fascinating or that my shoes were interesting <laughs> or something. And my dad gave me a good piece of advice, which was, Look around the room. You'll always find somebody who seems a little bit more miserable than you are. So reach out and make them feel better, and oh. it'll do a lot for you. And that's good advice for all of us across the spectrum. Look for people who look like they need a kind word or a helping hand or somebody to just say, hey, can I help you with something, and then do it. Yeah, uh, so important. And uh, I want to hit one last thing before I let you go, Lois, and that is I think one of the other things that has come out of the pandemic uh, is kind of this understanding that uh, sometimes uh, we got to look beyond just whether somebody is is there. We have to look at things like, you know, can they afford to go out uh, with friends because maybe they've lost a job or their job was eliminated during the pandemic? Do they have transportation like they like they used to have, or were they unable to get those car repair dones or uh, done, or or can they you know afford uh, to get an Uber or a Lyft? Uh, and it's it seems like we need to have a, a greater awareness of maybe who's who's isolated again isolated versus lonely are two different things but uh, often those things can can also be interconnected well they're they're definitely interconnected and i think it's sometimes really hard because we tend to think that if we're doing okay then other people are doing okay yes you just kind of glide by it and you you don't see what's happening in other lives but the thing to recognize too is that your superficial signs don't necessarily necessarily tell you. Like every year when we did Sub for Santa, we would get calls from people saying, I went to deliver whatever to this household, and their house was nicer than mine. But it's not necessarily true. It doesn't tell you if they're staying with friends. It doesn't tell you if they just lost a job. It doesn't tell you anything. So if all you're looking at is the superficial side of people's lives, you can't 
judge any aspect of it with any assurance that you're right. What you have to do, I think, is kind of figure that that all people need some kind of help and then ask them what kind of help they need. Yeah, and asking that question and being willing to engage in that kind of conversation, uh, I think, is a is a big part of this. Uh, as, and be willing to to get it yourself, too, to accept help and accept people reaching out to you and... It's all important. Yeah, that's right. And, and often that, that does become it kind of its own uh, vicious cycle. I think those that uh, are kind of chronically lonely, uh, that it tends to perpetuate and it, it makes it harder for them to reach out or harder to ask for help. Uh, and this is one of those things that we, we always want to emphasize on this show. If you sense that somebody is lonely or is in need of help or is struggling uh, with depression or discouragement or whatever it may be, suicidal thoughts, reach out. And if you're the one experiencing that, reach out. It's uh, it's the same both ways. Can I add one more quick thing to that? Please. That is that one of the proven research has shown time and time again that one of the biggest hedges against some of the things that you mentioned, including loneliness, but also some, some depression that's just sort of a malaise, not a chemical imbalance. But one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself is keep a gratitude journal. Mm. Make sure that you look around and appreciate things and not just say, oh, that's nice, but like really take a minute to acknowledge your blessings, the things that bring you joy, the people you love, the things that you're grateful for. And that does amazing things for your psyche. Yeah, fantastic. Lois Collins from the Deseret News. Thanks so much for joining us today. As always, you can read Lois's piece on Deseret.com. Again, just great insight. So important. Loneliness, disconnectedness. Uh, There's a whole host of things that we need to approach just the way we do with pandemics uh, and other major social issues. So, uh, Lois, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. See you, Boyd. All right. Again, that's Lois Collins from the Deseret News. And uh, always appreciate her insight. She has uh, such a wealth of experience when it comes to these issues and has really done the homework uh, and is so interconnected into this community with all of the different experts and perspective Uh, that I always appreciate what Lois brings to the table there. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom-of-the-hour news. When we come back, Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education is going to join us. He's going to explain how some specific legislation is being, uh uh-oh, sneaked into the Infrastructure Reconciliation Bill. Find out what that is coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.